0: Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Iris, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today, which comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed five hundred denarii, and the other fifty.
1: Happy New Year, Cornerstone family. It's so good to be with you again and and looking forward to another year ahead in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And for those of you who are watching that are not yet convinced that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God risen from the dead, then we hope and pray that this focus on His Word, uh, this story in Luke, will help you understand who Jesus is and why He came. To this earth, we are in Luke chapter seven this week, and this story introduces to us the aspect of who Jesus is as one who forgives sins. Now, this is key to knowing Jesus as Lord and as a follower of Him, and for Jesus makes this important connection between the forgiveness of our sins and our love for Him. As Lord think about it how much do you love your mother I mean as I think about that as how can I quantify the amount of love I have for my mother it's not like I can take my love and pour it into a container and measure how much love I have
0: how much do you love the corn Oh, that much? How much do you love Mama? How much do you love Appa?
1: How do we know we really love someone like our mother? Our mothers who carried us in their wombs for nine months, uh, went through the pain of childbirth, and diapers and sleepless nights and potty training and doctor visits and temper tantrums and disobedience and hurtful words and ungratefulness yet they stuck with us and they raised us and they fed us and clothed us and helped us and taught us and loved us and cared for us so that we could grow into be an adult mothers Amazing love of a mother. How much do you love your mother? This much? This much? (laughs) Maybe we can rephrase this question as, how much are you willing to um, care? What are you willing to do to care for your mother's needs when there is those needs that are made apparent? How much money are you willing to spend? How much time are you willing to to give to the care of your mother. You know, real love, biblical love, is action. It's shown in what we do. For example, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That's action out of response to love, out of the love. Why did God create this reality? Why did He create the universe? Um, Why did He create this world why did he create each of us? Love. It's out of his love. Why do people have children knowing the hardship and inconvenience and the expense and disappointment that comes with raising children? It's love. It's not a selfish thing to have a child because you got to give so much to raising a child. In our text today, Jesus makes this connection between forgiveness and love, and specifically love for Him. And we'll delve more into this in a minute. But let's talk about uh, the story as a whole in the Gospel of Luke. Because each of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a story of a woman anointing Jesus. Now, there are good reasons for uh, thinking that the other three Accounts in Matthew, Mark, and John are describing a different occasion than the one that we're going to be looking at in Luke's account today. For example, the other three Gospels refer to an incident in the last week of Jesus' life, where this incident in Luke's account is much earlier in Jesus' ministry. And the sinner of Luke's account wet Jesus' feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, kissed them and anointed them, which is different from the other three accounts. And the following discussion after this um, anointing was completely different in Luke than the other three accounts, for Luke is concerned with love and forgiveness, where the other three accounts are concerned with uh, selling the ointment and giving to the poor. And then also in Luke, a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to a meal, where in Matthew and Mark's account, the host is also called Simon, but Simon the leper. Um, And Simon was a very common name at that day and age, so it doesn't really establish any real connection of the same person. Um, And besides, a leper could never have been a Pharisee. So again, this just is another distinction that shows that the account in Luke is a, a different occasion than the ones in the other three Gospels. So, I just wanted to make that clear before we continue. Luke's account in our text starts by saying one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, a Pharisee was a Jewish religious leader that was deeply respected in Jewish communities. The Pharisees were the most influential um, sect. Of three Jewish sects that existed in that day. And the other two being the Sadducees and the Essenes. Now, Jesus had, if uh, earlier in Luke chapter 7, as well as earlier in Luke, Jesus had, had angered the Pharisees on prior occasions because of his healings that were done on the Sabbath. So, why did this Pharisee invite Jesus to have a meal in his home? The text doesn't really reveal why, so we're kind of going to think of the possibilities here. Could he have been a supporter of Jesus? Like Nicodemus, we find in, in the Gospel of John, who was part of that group, the Sanhedrin, or Pharisees, religious leaders. Probably not, since it seems like this Pharisee, Simon is his name, was skeptical and not very courteous toward Jesus. So if he was a supporter, he would have treated Jesus completely different than he did. Uh, Maybe maybe his intent was to trap Jesus, as we see the Pharisees try to do later in Luke. But probably not, because this account doesn't even show that this Pharisee asked Jesus any questions, really challenging him. Uh, Then the other option is maybe this Pharisee wanted the prestige of having someone of Jesus' popularity and stature to come and eat with him in his home. Um, Yeah, that could have been... uh, and the Pharisees' house uh, most likely had a courtyard, uh, like something like this in this picture, uh, because Pharisees were often m- more wealthy than the common person. And so they would have had a larger home and a courtyard like this where a larger group could come and eat together. And since Jesus was a public figure, the, uh, the door, in a sense, would have been open to this meal uh, in order that anybody interested in the community could come and sit on the edge and listen to the, the, the conversation that was happening around the table. And then inter- Luke introduces this woman, saying, And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with, her, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. <clears throat> a woman of the city, described as a sinner, was most likely a prostitute. Came, she came to know of Jesus eating at this Pharisee's house, and entered the house. Now, a prostitute would not have been welcome in a Pharisee's home. So it took. It must have taken a lot of courage for her to enter this house, just to see Jesus. And at the meal, Jesus assumed what was a normal position of lying beside a low table. This was uh, the culture of that day. It's like when we went to Indonesia and visited the villages, and the culture of that was to eat on the ground. Uh, so it was very similar, uh, though they didn't lie down and. Put their feet in the back. Um, so Jesus would have, in, like in this picture where you can see, lay down and often lean on his left elbow and use his right hand to reach over and get the food um, while his feet were pointing back away from the table. So this helps us understand why, how the woman could do what she did. And so the woman came to the house to see Jesus and she came believing Obviously, that Jesus' saving message as the Messiah, the Savior of the Jews, and and wanted to honor Him. And she carried perfume in a jar made of this expensive alabaster. And moving to the side where Jesus was uh, in the banquet room, and and she eased down beside His feet, weeping and crying um, and weeping so much. Um, Why was she weeping? Uh, sorrow for her sin, um, joy at seeing Jesus. Uh, She must have mixed emotions, we can guess. Luke doesn't really explain the reason for her deep emotion. And after crying so much and wetting Jesus' feet with her tears, she took down her hair to dry Jesus' feet. A very intimate uh, gesture here uh, in this culture. And then she kissed his feet and then, anointed uh, his feet. Now, the kissing shows these mixed emotions. And we can only guess of like remorse maybe or gratitude of devotion and reverence and care. We can imagine this situation here. And after Jesus' feet were wiped, she perfumed them. Now stop and think for a moment about this scene. Have you ever felt like this, like this woman did? We're not sure how she felt, but she obviously was moved to tears and to act in this way. Overwhelmed to tears with remorse either or gratitude and love or all of this together, mixed together. The woman knew she was a sinner better than anyone else there. And there behind Jesus, at his feet, pouring out her tears, she cried so much! She actually could wipe the dust off Jesus' feet because His feet were wet with his te- her tears. And she used her hair and she kissed them out of her love. It's, it's a moving scene when we really stop and think about what was happening here with this woman's interaction with Jesus' feet. And in this dramatic moment, It's interesting that Luke does not tell us what motivated the woman to do this kind of act for Jesus, but he then gives us a glimpse into Simon the Pharisee's mind and heart. Luke writes in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now the Pharisee judged the woman for what he knew of what she had been how she had done uh, in the past up to this point. And he did not judge her on what she was doing to Jesus at that moment, this act of love and adoration, it seemed. And so he also judged Jesus who to be not a, a prophet, uh, which some people were claiming he was, right? and because he would have known what kind of woman she was. At least this is his thinking, um, especially since the woman was treating him this way and touching him. But then Jesus, interestingly, demonstrates that he not only knew the, the, life, the sinful life of this woman, but he also knew of what Simon's thoughts were by addressing him specifically and directly. And so Jesus tells this story to Simon the Pharisee, saying... A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, it's interesting that he uses the word love here. Which of these two men will love this moneylender more? And a denarius uh, was the standard daily wage of a day laborer. So one day's work, one denarius. Um... So to put it in context then, that meant over a year and a half's wages was owed by the one guy and about two months' wages was owed by the other. And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he answered correctly. But then Jesus applied this parable, um, and this is the key meaning here of our text today, to Simon the Pharisee and the woman. The Pharisee had not washed and dried Jesus' feet when he came into the house, which was customary and courteous for offering that um, service to the guests that would come into your home. But this woman had, with her own tears and hair, done that, washed and dried Jesus' feet. Nor had the Pharisee greeted Jesus at the door with a common kiss um, on the cheek, And such was uh, an act, and it wasn't mandatory, but it's courteous for a host to do this, and quite frequently observed. Uh, As you see even nowadays in some cultures, you greet people with a kiss on both cheeks. But the Pharisee obviously hadn't done this, but this woman had done this to Jesus' feet. Um, And then the woman had perfumed Jesus' feet, anointed Jesus' feet, Uh, But Simon had not brought olive oil for anointing a guest's head. Um, Such an act would have shown extreme respect and courtesy to the guest by doing this act. And Simon the Pharisee hadn't done either or shown either to Jesus. So let's stop here for a minute. Who do you relate more to in this story? The woman or Simon the Pharisee? Who do you relate more to? You know, sometimes we treat Jesus the same way Simon the Pharisee did. This Pharisee did not disrespect Jesus. No, he, he did not treat him badly. He did not lavish on him uh, oils or anything like that. But the Pharisee saw Jesus as socially equal to him uh, on the same social class together. He saw Jesus as someone he could invite to discuss with and to learn from a little bit um, and to see what he was all about, kind of, you know, check him out. Uh, And sometimes, don't we treat Jesus in the same fashion if we fall to this thinking like the Pharisee? We see Jesus as a friend. We see Jesus as a comforter. We see Jesus as a teacher. But we do not see Jesus as Lord of Lords, King of kings, creator, master, as God himself incarnate and savior. And so Jesus continued to say to the Pharisee, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now here Jesus was not saying that the woman's actions earned her forgiveness, or that her love for Jesus deserved it. No, Jesus was saying that her love was proof that she had already been forgiven. And this was her response to the great and amazing grace of God on her. The Jerusalem Bible translation uh, brings out this meaning more clearly uh, the way it... uh, portrays Jesus' words saying, listen again, her sins, her many sins, must have been forgiven her or she would not have shown such great love. And then by contrast, he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now naturally we think of Simon the Pharisee. Um, He had shown little love for Jesus because he did not think he had the need to be forgiven for much. You know, he was fine. He was a Pharisee. He was righteous. He obeyed all the little nitty-gritties of the law. And, um, And he was proud and unaware of his own sinfulness. So who can you relate more to? The woman who's deeply aware of her sinfulness and grateful and broken and appreciative to the Lord Jesus. Or Simon the Pharisee who's critical and proud and unaware of their own sinfulness. You know, the one thing that shuts off a person from God the most is the feeling of self-sufficiency. You know, we think we're okay. Yeah, you know, I'm not that bad. Um, actually, I'm better off than I'm better than most other people when I compare myself. And the strange thing is, the more we mature in Christ, the more we become aware of how deeply sinful we are. It's this connection between the forgiveness of sins and our awareness of that and our need for forgiveness that deepens our love and gratefulness for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is what Christ Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisee right here in this story. For example, the Apostle Paul could speak of sinners, saying, of whom I am the form, I am foremost. And Francis of Assisi, a famous saint and respected in the, from the past, could say, there is nowhere a more wretched and a more miserable sinner than I. The greatest of sins is to be conscious of no sin. But our awareness of our own sinfulness opens the door to God's forgiveness for us, In Christ Jesus, because God is full of love and grace and mercy. How big a sinner are you? Or maybe we could rephrase this question, how much do you love Jesus? Now these are two questions that are closely related as Jesus pointed this out to Simon the Pharisee, saying, he who is forgiven little loves little. And with respect to the woman, the person who is forgiven much, loves much. Brothers and sisters, how aware are you of your sinfulness, your own sinfulness? And this directly relates to how much you love Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus. Now let's ask the Lord to reveal to us the ugliness in our hearts that we are unaware of, so He can bring it out into the light and we can live and bring it to Him and and confess our sin to Him And, and again experience the forgiveness of God that we already have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, through faith. And when we come to face God's great forgiveness of our sins, then the love and gratefulness we have to Him grows deeper and more intimate and motivates us to action, therefore, just as this woman was motivated to act toward Jesus. I want us to, to watch this story of, this, of how this ISIS leader became a follower of Jesus, and notice specifically his response to the grace, the message of grace in Christ Jesus when he has moved to tears, similar to this woman.
2: Peter is our new follow-up coordinator. He said he received a phone call on his cell phone, which we broadcast on our channel. It was from a man, we'll call him Muhammad, and Muhammad said, I need to meet with you. Now, normally our guys would say, not a good idea. Let's talk first on the phone. But he felt the Lord saying, go meet this guy. He turned out to be what is called a prince of ISIS, someone that other ISIS members swear allegiance to. They will die for
3: the prince was a religious person in isis and they considered him like a leader who teaches the quran he taught people how to memorize the quran and urge them to jihad
4: i grew up on radicalism i was raised to take back islam to the era of Muhammad the era of power and conquests, we began to form groups to defend the country and Islam. One day, somebody asked me why I am a Muslim. I had no answer. I began to search in the Quran, Hadith, and Sunnah. I wanted to find proof and evidence that Allah exists and Islam is right. I found nothing
3: the prince heard that I evangelized to Muslims, he got my number and called saying that he wanted to meet and talk. I had a strange feeling that he was from ISIS and that he might try to kill me. But I had a peace inside that the Lord would protect me as he had a reason behind this encounter. So I set up an appointment knowing that he could try to kill me.
4: When I went to Peter, I was scared, but I wanted
3: to search for the truth.
2: So he went and met with Muhammad, and he said the Lord spoke to
3: him in that moment. He said, be bold with him. I said to him directly, our God is not yours.
4: When I listened to Peter, I felt his words were arrogant. His words had awakened Muhammad, the radical one. Because of my anger, for a moment, I forgot why I came to Peter. I suddenly
2: had one thought, how should I kill him? He boldly proclaimed the gospel to Muhammad, this bearded man
3: he started crying while i was telling him these words what made me cry i don't know while he was crying i put my hand on his shoulder and started to pray he then got up and left me i felt he was not stable
2: they met they went their separate ways he called again muhammad came back very shaken i had to dream Peter
4: came to me and gave me a white envelope dripping with blood. The blood had a good fragrance like musk or perfume. When I saw the blood, I was scared. Peter said to me, don't be afraid. Then I woke up. Later, Peter told me without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins.
3: The prince asked, what should I do to ask forgiveness? I said, the Lord gave it to you for free. You just need to accept it. And gradually, I began to disciple him.
2: So they came together, and Muhammad said, Peter, I have a confession. I have to tell you that the first time I was going to meet you, I intended to kill you, and I am sorry. And he fell on his face, and he repented. I began to
4: visit Peter regularly, and I saw love that didn't exist in Islam.
3: He started walking with the Lord right away. He shaved his beard. He changed his whole life. Then he asked to be baptized. Once I got out of the water,
4: I felt a victory and a joy I could not describe.
3: He is conducting a Bible study for three people in his area. The
4: true book, in my opinion, is the Bible. I found the truth in Jesus Christ. And because I have surrendered my life to the Lord, I am certain He will never forsake me.
1: If you're watching this right now or listening to this at another time, know that Jesus loves you and that he demonstrated this love by going to the cross and dying for you, taking on himself the punishment for your sins. And he did this for you and all people of this world and who have ever existed because of his love for us. And he did this because we need saving, for all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We are all slaves of our, to our own sinfulness and rebellion against the Lord Almighty. But as sinners, we can be freed from this slavery through faith in Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Her, it was her faith in Jesus that saved her. And it's the same that applies to us today. Nothing we do can earn salvation. It's our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us and for all of mankind. We are sinners in need of God's grace in Jesus. So let's follow him every day in every way and experience the abundant life of the freedom we have in Jesus freedom to do what is right, because we get to do what is right, not that we have to do what is right. He frees our hearts from that legalistic thinking like the Pharisee had. In another way, somebody has said, um, we we get rid of the doing to be, in a sense, I have to do this and do this and do this to be good. No, that's a Pharisaical thinking. In other words, we be to do. We are children of God through faith in Jesus. That is who we are. And we get to do the things that he calls us to do. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a joy. It's not a list of things we have to do now in order to be, quote, a good Christian. No, that's not a saving faith there. See, the more we are aware of his forgiveness the deeper our love grows for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your mercy and grace in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Lord, we desire to deepen in our understanding of this forgiveness in the everyday moments of our lives so that we can walk faithfully and step with your Spirit and Lord Jesus, we love you, and we desire to follow you, and we pray that this year we would continue to see fruit, your fruit, in our own lives and in our life as a church community, seeing that others are brought to you, from our families, from our coworkers, from the people we meet, from people you just draw in through searches on Google and, and through the internet, that you would bring people to know who you are, and that the kingdom would expand, in this little area of the world and beyond through our missionaries that we support and through ourselves as we respond to your call to go out beyond this area. Glorify yourself in us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Happy New Year again, Cornerstone. We'll see you next week.